This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Time now for our regional roundup where we take a look at headlines coming out from around the region. One of Malaysia's most wanted men pleads not guilty to 26 charges. We'll also be taking a look at developments in the Philippines where the local government and the Moro Islamic Liberation Front are taking their first step towards normalization. And in Indonesia, police there fired tear gas to disperse protesters outside parliament in Jakarta. We'll find out more now from Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent for The Straits Times. Leslie, good morning. Good morning, Elliot. Good morning, Barty. Let's start off uh, with the issue in Malaysia. So this guy was on the run from police for more than a year. Uh, His businessman, Nikki Liao Suhi, one of Malaysia's most wanted, by the way, pleaded not guilty to 26 charges amounting to more than 36 million ringgit under the anti-money laundering, anti-terrorism financing and proceeds of Unlawful Activities Act. Tell us a little bit about this and, you know, what's the rationale here? 26 charges is a lot to, to say I'm not guilty to. Well, yes. You know, this case has attracted a lot of media attention and this ban has been on the run for over a year. Um, the, the events surrounding his surrender mm. has got Malaysians quite cynical. They suspect there's some kind of deal with the police that this guy decided that he would give up after one year of evading this police dragnet. And he appeared in court to face 26 charges, pleaded not guilty, and was granted bail. And that really has, I think, caused some unease, especially in Twitter sphere, where people are wondering whether there was a deal. And reacting to this, to these sentiments was, you know, the police came out yesterday with a statement saying that no, they don't favor any parties, and this was under the instructions of the Attorney General's office. So clearly this this is something that's going to be watched. And like you mentioned, you know, this guy clearly is hoping for a lighter sentence, but he's got known links to the underworld. Uh, the, the criminal, the ex-triad, Macau triad boss, broken to one Kokoi, is said to be very close to him. Right. He was a senior uh, party bearer in this the, the underworld, uh, the ex-Macau underworld boss cultural organization. So, you know, a lot of things point to clearly, you know, some form of guilt here. So people be watching how the authorities handle this case and how quickly it comes to the court. Mm, Certainly an intriguing one, this one. Uh, But something else that's also making headlines in Malaysia is its anti-party hopping law which suffered another setback on Monday after lawmakers deferred their vote on a constitutional amendment that actually would have enabled the law to be enacted. Now, last week, Leslie, we talked about the urgent need to address the issue, seeing how it's a major cause of political instability in the country. Why are these people pushing back? I mean, to what extent are their concerns valid? Well, you know, the thing is that, Bhaji, that those who are pushing back are really politicians and parties that caused most of this upheaval in Malaysia where, you know, the former Pakatan Harapan government fell because of defections and people seeking alliances to different parties. So these guys are clearly against it. And I think the reason is because they know when elections are held, which could be as early as August this year, the results are going to be very, very close. And we're going to see a lot of people being wooed with, um, you know, a whole lot of offers to switch alliances. So to some, they rather have this anti-hopping law 
scuttle. But I am told by opposition sources that they have come to an agreement with the Prime Minister and they are certain that the law that will go to a select committee now uh, will be passed at a sitting in end of May. So we'll have to wait and see. And, you know, the longer the opposition plays along with the Ismail Sabri government on this and they not deliver on this anti-hopping law, it's only going to hurt their political prestige. So both sides have got a lot to lose here. Mm. Leslie, let's uh, switch tracks to the Philippines. Uh, Three years into the transition period, the Philippines government and the Moro Islamic Liberation Front are preparing to mainstream former Moro rebels into the Philippine National Police. So this move looks at to fulfill part of the promise of the Mindanao peace process. I'm sure this is significant. Tell us more about it. And I think more importantly, is this change sustainable, you know, to, to ensure that there's a more peaceful Mindanao in that sense? Well, you know, this is clearly a major milestone in, in, in this very troubled region, right? The proposal will see at least 5,000 former rebels who laid down their arms being offered the prospect of joining the police force. I mean, to people who, you know, who've never had a stable income, steady jobs, you know, avoiding the army and the authorities, you know, by living for long, long months and uh, periods of time in the jungle, this is going to be a huge, huge game changer for them, you know, mm. and you know, stable income, you know, to, to, to be with their families. You know. So clearly this is a major milestone, like I said, and, you know, it is a very, very good sign to this troubled region. But how this thing works, the dynamics is going to be very, very interesting to see, you know, how these these now junior police personnel will take orders from people who at one time were pursuing them, you know? Yeah. So we're going to see all of these dynamics actually in the coming uh, months. But having said that, I think this, this is very positive and it is something that this troubled region really needs. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Still on the Philippines, Leslie, nearly two million supporters of Philippine presidential hopeful Lenny Robredo are going door to door across the nation in an against-the-odds bid to win over voters before the May 9th polls. Tell us why you think these supporters remain hopeful. I mean, would things have been different if not for Robredo's last-minute decision to enter the presidential race in October? Well, you know, the thing is that Robredo's Supporters who have been really working very hard because they're finding that the campaign, this dot door campaign, is getting some traction and, uh, you know, drawing quite a large crowds to her rallies. And that they believe is positive. And, you know, it's, you know anything can, can happen, in, especially in a place like the Philippines. But water surveys suggest that Ferdinand Marcos Jr., son of the former dictator, is heading for a landslide victory. So, and many believe that this is his presidential election to lose. But then again, like I said, you know, this is the Philippines. And this last push by Robredo could actually, you know, spring a couple of surprises, actually. So it'll be interesting to see what happens May time. We don't have that, that much time before the main event. And I think all candidates will be making a very, very a strong push, you know, towards the finish line. 
Listening, final issue. It's another development in the cooking oil saga over in Indonesia where police have fired tear gas and water cannons uh, earlier this week to disperse hundreds of university students who were protesting those high cooking oil prices and the extension of President Joko Widodo's stay in office. We saw a photo of it on the front page of the Straits Times. I remember talking about this. Now, the president has consistently said he's going to abide by the constitution. But why is there still unrest as a result? I mean, are they perhaps the government responsible for this protest? Is something not being made clear here? You know, we've talked about, uh, and we talked about this, you know, how spikes of food prices can be devastating in Indonesia. And, you know, the, this protest goes, goes to show that students have always been in the forefront of change. And this is similar to 1998 when Suharto, Mm. The former former strongman, you know, was forced to resign after, you know, bloody riots in, in Jakarta and several other big cities in, in Indonesia, largely because of the scarcity of food, soaring inflation, you know, the fall of the rupiah following the regional crisis, a financial crisis at that point. So clearly, this is something the government, I think Jokowi's government needs to address and needs to address quickly which they haven't been doing because of this persistent, this uh, continued shortages. And I think, you know, when you've got unrest like this on basic issues, yeah. political issues that are basically co- uh, troubling people come into mm-hmm. play too. And in this, in this sense, it's about the extension. There's a lot of talk about the extension among uh, prominent politicians in Indonesia. So people believe that there could be some legs to this. And this is something they don't want to do. And I agree with you, you know, Jokowi, uh, just like how he needs to handle this, the shortage of uh, cooking oil, he needs to come and forcefully say that, look, there's not going to be the, any extension and I'm, I'm just going to be a two-term president. So that, I think, is, is going to be crucial for this guy. We've been speaking with Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent at The Straits Times. Thank you very much, Leslie, for your analysis. You stay safe and take care, yeah? Thank you, Matthew. Thanks, Elliot. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.